Well, good morning. Good morning. Are you guys excited to be at church on Christmas morning? Come on. Come on. Man, it is so good to see you guys here. And here's the thing. We love like all the things that surround Christmas, like family time and eating so many cookies. Has anyone overdone the cookies a little bit like I have? I mean, we got the presents and, and the late night Christmas Eve traditions and all that fun stuff is so incredible. But this morning, many of you, many of you decided to come here this morning because you remembered that Christmas is bigger than just some family time. It's better than just some presents. That, that God is doing something even bigger in our midst. And it's this, that on Christmas morning, like Pastor Glenn was sharing, on Christmas morning, we celebrate that God in a bod came to planet Earth. Maybe some of you missed that. God in a bod came to planet Earth on a rescue mission. Because he saw his people broken, hurting, disconnected from him, full of sin in their lives. And so he came on a rescue mission to restore every single person, to invite every single person into a relationship with himself. And so all the things that surround Christmas are wonderful and they're amazing. But this morning we celebrate that Christmas is truly about Jesus, that Christmas is truly about a God who does not forget about his people. And maybe some of you, you're absolutely convinced this morning that God has totally forgotten about you, that he wants nothing to do with you. Well, what I hope to do in telling two stories and asking one question is to totally change your mind. Or maybe some of you, man, this Christmas season has been so crazy, busy, and insane for you that, that you've forgotten about this God who loves you and cares for you. And my hope is this morning that in two stories and one question, that you would take a next step in your relationship with Christ. Uh, around our house, this has become incredibly valuable. I don't know if many of you can see this. This is the, the remote that controls our ceiling light and our ceiling fan. So a little bit of a backstory. For about a year and a half now, for about a year and a half, our ceiling fan in our living room and the lights have been broken. And what I mean by that is a friend of mine came over and pulled, you know a little cord that you pull to kind of turn on the lights and turn on the fans? Well, he pulled it and it broke. And so for about a year and a half, for about a year and a half, our fan has been spinning and this is going to tell you how lame I am. I don't know how to fix it. You know what I mean? Like changing light bulbs, things like that, that is way beyond my capacity. And so for a year, we literally have this fan spinning and it spins it kind of like, like a medium spin. So it's the worst because in the wintertime, we're freezing, right? In the wintertime, we're dying because we're like, please stop, but dad can't fix it. In the summertime, in the summertime, it's just as bad because we want it to go full speed and it's only going about medium. And so for like a year, year and a half, this fan has just been spinning. Well, finally, a friend of mine came over and he's like, you know, monkeys know how to fix this stuff. And I'm like, I know, I don't. So can you do that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll fix it. So he comes and he, he fixes the whole fan and, and he gives us this remote and he says, Eric, here's the deal. This remote has the power to turn on the light has the power to change the different speeds of the fan and you can turn it off and you can do it all right here. I'm going to clip the cords at the top so nobody can pull it or mess with it. All you need to do is make sure you don't lose this and we're like, this is glorious. So he installs it. He installs it right in the middle of our living room and it wasn't his fault. It was our fault. He does it at a height that's perfect for Brinley. Okay, now Brinley, some of you know Brinley. Brinley is my two and a half year old daughter. Now Brinley, her favorite thing, her favorite thing in the world right now is to wait until mom and dad are so busy doing other things that she walks over, she walks over to the wall where this hangs. 
and she grabs it and she takes it and she will hide it anywhere. Like anywhere and everywhere she hides it. So she'll, she'll hide it in her little doggy purse. She has this little doggy purse and then she'll like, you know, hide it under her bed and we just can't find it. And we literally look around forever. Well, one night, one night, a few weeks ago, I came home and it was a long day and I was ready to watch some TV and the fan is going full speed and the light is on. And so I go to the wall to turn it off and this is missing. Now it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And so I run over to, uh, I run up to Brindley's room and she's sleeping. This is how great of a dad I am. You're going to find out a lot about me in a second. Um, I wake her up. I wake her up and I go, I go, Brindley, baby girl, you did it again. Where's the fan? You know, where, where's the controller? Where, where's, where's the remote? And she's like, ah, and just kind of like rolls over and does her thing. I shake her again. I turn on the light. I'm like, literally, dad's got to watch a show, okay? And there's cookies and milk waiting for me. We got to get this done. Where is the remote? And she's like, ah, and just kind of rolls over. So then Sarah and I go and we hunt the whole house. We can't find it, okay? So I go to bed so depressed, couldn't have my little night tradition. We wake up the next morning. Fan's going 100%. Light's going 100%. Brindley wakes up and Charlie wakes up. And the first thing they say is they say, Dad, can we have pancakes for breakfast? And I say, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, what we are going to do is, Brindley, you hid this remote. I've looked all over the house. I can't find it. You need to find it. We're going on a hunt now. And she's like, literally, I should be arrested. She's like, Dad, I'm hungry. And I say, I don't care. We're going to find the remote. We're going to find the remote. So, we go searching all throughout the house, right? Searching all throughout the house, and they can't find the remote at all. And then at one point, Charlie and Brindley go over to the, uh, uh, Charlie's my four-year-old, Brindley's my two-year-old. They go over to uh, the, the counter to get a cup to get some water. And I said, <laughs> we're not drinking water. No way. Absolutely not until we find this remote. And we go searching throughout the whole house. And then finally, 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 in a spot that Brindley had never hid the stupid controller before. It's in this little cabinet. We pull it out, and it's like celebrate. I'm crying, you know, like, like at the birth of your child. I'm just crying. <laughs> like we found the remote. And for the kids, it wasn't maybe as pertinent, but for me, the fact that the remote was lost left me with one option, go and find it. Like, there was no other option. I could not be passive about this. I could not pretend as though it was going to show up on its own. I had to give my whole energy, my whole time towards this. Which reminds me about a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It was such an incredible story. That was such an unbelievable story. That was such a miraculous story. That was a story that the world had never seen before. And it was so good, and it was so world-changing, and it was so powerful that a group of people didn't have any other choice but to go and learn more. You see, the story of Jesus that we're going to talk about actually begins 750 years before Jesus ever shows up on the scene. Find me in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. A prophet says this. But you, Bethlehem, remember that word, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah in the year 750 BC says, Bethlehem, I know you've been forgotten. I know you think you're worth nothing. I know you think you're useless, but get ready because Christmas is coming. 
Get ready because I'm going to do something amazing. Something is going to happen in your midst. And you, seem, you, th- you think and you feel so small and so insignificant. But in the year 750 B.C., the prophet Micah says, oh, just wait, Bethlehem, wait. Because God is going to do something unique in Bethlehem. Fifty years go on and the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 verse 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he and they will call him Emmanuel. Fifty years later in the year 700 B.C., the prophet Isaiah prophesies this, that there will be a virgin who will give birth. Oxymoron, right? There's kids here, so explain it later. Virgin giving birth. And this baby will be so significant that they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So fast forward 700 years. In the year 40 BC, this guy shows up on the scene named King Herod. King Herod was the ruler, was the Roman ruler over the part of Israel that Jesus was going to be born into. And this guy was ruthless. This guy was known for for actually murdering some of his family members, his wife, some of his kids, because he was threatened by them, because he was afraid of them. Towards the end of his life, he was so insane that he, that he commanded that, that children be done away with. I mean, this guy was absolutely insane, but he was the ruler. He was the leader over Israel. And then in the year 27 BC, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus becomes emperor over all that Rome owns and all that Rome occupies. And Caesar Augustus was so full of himself. He was so proud of himself. He thought he was such a big deal that everywhere Caesar Augustus went, there were these statements written about him. And catch these. Caesar Augustus, son of God, savior of the world. And everywhere Caesar Augustus went, people would say to him, son of God. Savior of the world. That's in the year 27 B.C. And then between the years we don't know, 7 and 4 B.C., that's when scholars think Jesus was born. Something happens on planet Earth that changes everything. Find me in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It reads this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. Let's do a little call and response. Where did he go? Bethlehem. So he's in Nazareth. He's in Galilee. And all of a sudden, this census, in order to gain more taxes, is issued that he needs to travel to Bethlehem. Remember what Micah talked about 750 years earlier? They said, Bethlehem, something big's about to happen that you would never even imagine. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be 
who was pledged to be married to him, and he was expecting, and she was expecting a child. So here's Mary. She's expecting a child, but this isn't like any other child. In fact, if you look back at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, an angel shows up to Mary and says, Mary, you are greatly favored in the eyes of God. God loves you and adores you and he thinks you're awesome. In fact, he thinks you're so awesome that you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Congrats. <laughs> and she goes, are you kidding me? She goes, I'm, I'm a virgin. How is that possible? And he goes, oh, 700 years ago somebody was talking about this. That you're going to give birth and in Matthew's gospel, it says he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, in the early pages of scripture in 750 BC and 700 BC, there's these stories that are beginning to be told about this coming Messiah, this Jesus, this God with us who is going to change everything forever. And it seems impossible because why would it happen in Bethlehem? And all of a sudden, here's David who lives in Galilee and Nazareth. What are the chances? But all of a sudden, he's called to Bethlehem because that's where the line of David is from. And so he goes to Bethlehem for this census and check out what happens next in the story. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want to paint a picture because maybe we've seen some things on Hallmark or or on TV or we've kind of grown up in in some traditions that maybe haven't fully understood exactly what's happening here. But just so you understand the conditions that Jesus was born into, this is what it looked like. That when it says that Jesus was laid in a manger... The Greek word for that is fatne. Can everyone say fatne on the count of three? One, two, three. Check it out. We're learning Greek. Who thought Christmas morning we'd be learning Greek there? So fatne, you know what it means? It means a feeding trough. So literally, Jesus is laying down in a feeding trough. And it says he's in the feeding trough because there was no guest room available for them. Scholars have speculated, is, is this a stable that Jesus is born in? Is it an inn somewhere? And there's different debates, but but here's what I think. That this word guest room literally describes an ancient Near Eastern first century Israeli house. That you see, back back then their houses, they were two levels. And and on, on the second level, you had the living quarters and then you had a guest room. And on the first level is where you had the kitchen where the families would do some of their, their normal business and where they would kind of take care of things. And so what would happen is at night, the families would stay up in their room and if they had guests, they would stay in their guest room and they would bring in all of their animals onto the first level. And they did that for two reasons. The first reason was this. They didn't want their animals to be stolen or killed or eaten. So, so they bring in the animals on the first level to protect them. But then the second reason was to insulate the house and to keep the house warm. And so Jesus is born into this first century context where there is no guest room available. The Greek word for that is kataluma. Can you guys say kataluma on three? One, two, three. Kataluma. We find kataluma, we find this Greek word all over the place in Luke's gospel, specifically in chapter 22, verse 1, when Jesus says, hey, I need a place, I need a guest room for me and my disciples to share our meal in. And so it's being described here is that there is a home that is so packed out that the family 
and the guests and the animals are all in this place and there's no room for them except for Jesus and his parents to be on the bottom floor. And after Jesus is born, for him to literally be laid in a feeding trough. Can we just think about this for a second? Can we just take a pause for a second? What does this tell you about the character of God? About the nature of who God is that God would choose, right? Like he had a choice. In fact, he had been waiting thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He had a choice. He could have made a decision about where he wanted to be born. What does it tell you about the character and the nature of God that he would choose to be born in a feeding trough? God in a bod in a trough. That's, that's the picture here. What does that tell you about God? You see, I, I, think, I think God being born in a trough is the greatest beginning to the greatest story. Because one thing I know about your life and I know about my life is it's messy and it's broken. And there's things about our stories that we wish we could erase. There's things that we've gone through. There's things that we're currently going through that, man, if we could just get those out of sight, we would love to. And in fact, it, we, we think, oh man, there's no way God could ever love me or want to be closer with me when I'm just this messy, when I'm this broken. And I think he might want to knock on your door and say, hey, guess what? I was born in a trough. I was born in a, in a, in a packed house. Like there was literally no room for me. I was born in this mess. In fact, I chose to be born in this mess. So I will choose to enter into your mess. You see, that's one of the most beautiful things about the Christmas story. Is it's not this story that's really neat and clean and sanitized and distant. No, it's this messy story of a God who chooses to be born into the mess, who chooses to enter into the brokenness so that we would never forget that he is a God who will do the same in our lives. And some of you feel like you're too messy. You feel like things are too broken. You feel like you're a lost cause. Look at the Christmas story and remember that God chooses the messy to relate to. He chooses the broken to love and to care for. What kind of mess, what kind of brokenness are you carrying? And what if this Christmas, what if this Christmas you could hear for maybe the first time or a reminder for the hundredth time, Jesus going, hey, I want to be a part of that. I, I love you so much. I'm willing to sit in this relationship, in this brokenness, in this sin, in this disease, in this thing that you're carrying. I'm willing to be in it with you because that's how I've been since day one because that's been my character and my nature. But then verse eight, the story takes an interesting turn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, before we get to what happens to these shepherds, let me give us a quick history lesson of shepherds in the first century. In the first century, shepherds were considered the lowest class in society. They were the pariahs of society. They, they were the people that literally, as some scholars, and as I've been researching, some scholars would say that when families would walk by first century shepherds, the parents and the families would look at the shepherds and say to their kids, don't you dare turn out like that. Don't you dare become one of those. You see, shepherds were considered total outcasts from society. Their jobs were considered so gross 
They were, back in the the first century, especially for a Jew, there are two types of people, right? There's the clean and there's the unclean. They were as unclean as you could get. They're outsiders. They're thieves. They're robbers. They're people who none of us in this room would want to associate with. And so why are shepherds a part of this story? Why at this moment when God has chosen to be born, why does he begin to talk about shepherds? Check out what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Yeah, duh. Because these guys, man, their they're, they're rap sheet, their, their track record, the things that they have done, they were waiting for God to smite them. They were waiting for their story to be done. They were waiting for their judgment to come. And so all of a sudden, an angel shows up and they're looking at each other and they're going, this is it for us, guys. He's finally come for us. He's done with us. You ever been there? You ever been at the place where you're like, man, I'm sure God's done with me. But the angel has something very, very different for them. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This angel's like, guys, I've got great news. I've got good news, great joy that's for all people. And I imagine the first time they were hearing it, they were going, yeah, we've heard the whole all people phrase. That doesn't actually apply to us. We don't fall under the all people category. Because if you knew what we've done, if you knew what we've been up to, no, you, you, you wouldn't fit us into the all people. And maybe the angel, maybe the angel understood that they were having a little bit of a difficult time grasping this. And so the angel of the Lord gets even more specific with them. And he says this. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to who? To you. A Savior has been born to you. I mean, this, this is, this is mind-blowing. This is the most incredible thing. If, 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 if the Savior of the world was born to a bunch of shepherds, then that means all of us fit into this category. Here at Purpose Church, you hear us say this all the time, that we believe everyone everywhere is follow, needs to be following Jesus. That's our vision, is to see everyone everywhere following Jesus. And you may go, no, no, am I really in everyone? Well, in the biblical story, in the story of God coming to earth, you fit in. That you're one of these all people and that you are one of these, to you, a Savior has been born. Check it out. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then our last verse. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, angels put on this big show. They say, I've got good news. It's for everybody and it's for you. A savior has been born. You are not stuck in your sin and brokenness anymore. There is a way out. There is hope. There is healing. There is restoration. There is reconciliation. There is more going on than what you physically see here. And these angels, they sing this chorus and then they vanish. And the shepherds, the shepherds say to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You see, the shepherds, after hearing this glorious, this beautiful, this incredible story, 
The shepherds didn't need the angels to say, okay, so, so here's what you're going to do now, guys. Here's your three-step plan, okay? First thing, uh, you know, you're going to change your underpants because we know you've just wet yourself uh, after this experience. Uh, next, you're going to go ahead and you're going to head down this alley. You're going to make a left turn here. You're going to see this guy. You're gonna, I mean, it, he, he doesn't walk them through three steps, five steps towards finding their way to Jesus. No, no, they show up with this amazing, incredible, great news that is beyond their comprehension. In fact, it's so beautiful and so compelling that they can't help but go and find out a little bit more about this baby Jesus. The question I have for every single one of us in this room this morning is this. What are you waiting for? Like, like what are you waiting for? I mean, this story, this is a historical, true story. Think about the nature of this story. You have a poor Jewish man born in, in Israel... He he teaches, loves, heals people, grows up, dies on a cross. He's murdered by the state like thousands of Jews were murdered before him. He rises from the dead. His disciples go and they scatter this news. But it all started with this baby who was born in a trough. I mean, mean, how is it that we've gathered here in Pomona, California, 2,000 years later? Because of something that happened in this trough. Or, or think about it, as Pastor Glenn has talked about, the, the letters of Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, they were written from a prison cell. How was it that these letters written from a prison cell made their way into the right hands and they were preserved and they were restored and they were kept long enough to where we could read them now and be benefited from? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And for these shepherds, who woke up that day thinking, today's just going to be like every other day. There's no way, there's no way nothing new is going to happen. This is, I, I'm in this place, I'm in this situation, this is just how things are. And then all of a sudden, God shows up to them and says, wake up, because today I have sent my Savior to the world, and he's come to save you, not just people like you, but you. Not just people around you, but you. Not just people in your family, but you. You see, this story is so personal. Because the angel says, this is for all people. But shepherds, before you tune out, This is for you. And so I have a personal question for you, and it's this. What are you waiting for? Like, like what what are you waiting for? And and some of you may hear this message, and Sarah and I were talking about this. You may hear this message, and all of a sudden, you you maybe struggle with perfectionism, or you're you're, you're like, all right, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Bible for five hours every single day, and I'm not going to mess up once this year. Like, it's all year long, I'm going to read, I'm going to memorize Leviticus, and he's going to be so proud of me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go crazy spiritually. I'm going to pray and I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to walk to Israel. I'm just going to walk there. You know what I mean? I'm going to go Jesus style on top of the water. I'm, I'm headed to Israel. And, and my challenge to you, for those that are followers of Jesus, my challenge to you is don't chase after perfectionism. Chase after Jesus. Okay? There's a difference there. Don't chase after some religion. Don't be motivated by becoming more pious because motivations matter, Right? Like if, I, if, I'm, if I'm trying to love my wife, Sarah, and, and talk nicely to her and be encouraging her, and my motivation for that is that I want other people to think I'm kind and loving to Sarah, that's not good. 
That my motivation is to love and care for Sarah because I want to have a better relationship with her. And so for those of you that have been following Jesus, my challenge to you is this. Don't chase after perfectionism this year. Chase after Jesus who wants so deeply to be in a more passionate, growing, dynamic relationship with you than he had even last year. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, for those of you that are in this room and maybe you've heard this story hundreds of times, what are you waiting for? I mean, you've got a God who came for you, like personally for you. And you may have questions and you may have doubts and you may have fears and insecurities. And I get that because I have the same ones. But I know that that as I've chased after Jesus and as I've opened my heart and as I've become more aware of my brokenness and his love and forgiveness over me, that it's changed me. It's transformed me. And so this Christmas, I'm asking the question, what am I waiting for? Why am I settling for a passive faith? What am I waiting for? My question to you is, what are you waiting for? What's that next step? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this Christmas morning. I want to thank you that in the year 2016, a group of us have gathered here in Pomona to celebrate and to remember and to reflect on the beauty that is the fact that God came for me and for us and for you. I thank you, Jesus, that you were born into such a humble and and a broken place to remind us that you come for us who are humble and broken. And God, I pray that, that even beginning right now, that we would make a decision to chase after you, Jesus. To not chase after perfectionism or religion. But that just as you came for us, we would come for you. That just as you pursue us, we would pursue you. That just as you gave up everything for us, we would give up everything for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that 2,000 years later, your story, your rescue plan is still just as active, is still just alive. And that we, like the shepherds, have to answer the question, what are we going to do now? What are we waiting for? Help us to go.